It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And a very good morning to you. And it does look like we're getting a bit of respite from the heat with the temperatures certainly down today than they have been over the last uh, little while now. It's about two weeks, isn't it, that we've been having nice weather and certainly nice warm weather. And it's still incredibly muggy overnight and it looks like that is going to continue but looking across the rest of the week I mean tomorrow is not too bad we've got a kind of a cloudy day 18 degrees back to more heavy showers though on Friday but 19 degrees uh, Saturday and Sunday then it's 18 degrees that's not too bad kind of average for this time of the year cloudy weather across the weekend Monday and Tuesday then a return to rain and uh, showers but Monday the temperature starting to go back, back up we're looking at 20 degrees on uh, Monday so certainly a mixed bag and kind of more normal services resuming for this time of year that is for sure Bernie's taking your calls at 1850 if there's anything you would like to share with us today on the programme text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 I'm wondering did many people manage to see the lunar there was a partial lunar eclipse uh, last night certainly where I was at half past ten couldn't see it at all I had a good look but no and then too late, needed to go to bed, so I couldn't wait up any longer. Some people are sharing pictures on social media today and it looked quite spectacular in some areas, but I don't know, did you need to be, usually anywhere down by the sea is normally, very clear places, is normally the best to see any of those lunar um, eclipses. So I'm assuming if you were down around uh, West Cork or East Cork, you probably got the best glimpse. Let us know if you did manage and what you managed to see. And if you're on WhatsApp, WhatsApp in any of your photographs, I'd love to see them to 086 Talking of lights, yesterday on the programme, we had some calls in from listeners who were talking about the traffic sequence on the filter lane on the traffic lights on Mallow Bridge. In particular, people were saying that the right lane at the bridge coming from the townhouse into the park road that the green filter light one lady said it was only letting was for two seconds was what she claimed and that it only left one car through and then a taxi driver contacted us who was actually at the lights when we were talking about it and he counted that the filter light was only on for seven seconds and only left I think two or three cars uh, through and at the time we were about to have local 
councillor Gorod Murphy from Mallow join us in studio so towards the close of my interview with him I asked him about the lights and if he could look into it and we also sent on a request to Mal to Cork County Council who came back and said that they were going to bring it to the attention of the roads team now they haven't come back to us yet by email they just confirmed they received our email but councillor Gorod Murphy has just been on to say the lights of the park road in Mallow the council engineers have been on to the contractors who found that the lights are no different than usual but they are going to monitor the situation. They say there hasn't been any change to the sequencing of the lights. So anybody out and about driving in Mallow this morning, if you're coming from the town and you're heading down by the bridge and then you want to go right to go over the park road over to Little and Tesco and uh, Four Homes, that general direction, let me know if you think the sequencing of the lights, that the filter light isn't on as long as it normally is. According to the contractors, nothing at all has uh, changed. Uh, so I welcome your thoughts on that. 1850 333 And actually last week, or maybe it was earlier this week, earlier this week, I think it was, we had a listener who was complaining about road markings on the road in Mallowtown. And the reason that she was highlighting it was she had been driving at the weekend with her son or daughter, can't remember, one of her children anyway, who's about to do the driving tests. So they'd come into Mallow. That's where the test centre is. They come into Mallow to, you know, to do, the, as you do, driving around and going through the various routes where you might be taken for your driving test just to get the practice in and to make sure everything is OK. And she noticed, obviously, she was the the in the dry in the passenger seat with her child because of course if you want to learn a permit you can't be in the car unless you've got a fully qualified driver with you so Mammy was doing her duty at the weekend but she could not get over the road markings and how poor the road markings were in some areas and she felt that that was very unfair particularly in a town that has a driving test centre where every day young people and not so young people are going out doing their tests that surely the road markings should be top dollar in any area where the driving where driving tests are taking place because the smallest thing can fail you or can throw you off and cause you to fail. Well, that prompted another mammy to contact us to say she's got two children ready for, ready for the driving test and both of them have applied to do their test in Mallow. But her rant is the exit from the county council offices at the at the Annabella exit, which is the first part of the driving test for people outside of the area. That's where the driving test centre is. It's in beside the County Council offices in Annabella. So when you get into your car with your tester, you have to drive out of the County Council offices to get onto the road to start the test. So the first part of your test is there, is actually leaving leaving the grounds of the County Council offices. And according to our listener, that is totally a blind spot. The listener reckons they should take down one row of blocks to the right of the exit, exit uh, because surely it will also prevent an accident. And you only go right, you or you go left, isn't it? You come out of there, yeah, you have to go you have to go left and then you go down to the next roundabout and off you go on your on your test. So one of the first things you do actually is, is face a, a roundabout that can be busy at times as well. Uh, anyway, has anybody else noticed that? Or has anybody else heard complaints about that? Have you recently done your test? Have you had a son or a daughter uh, doing, it in, doing a test? And would you agree that the very first part of the test you're faced at what is a blind spot. I don't know, is that deliberately factored into the test? Do they say, you know, when you are in your normal 
everyday driving you will unfortunately come across areas that are blind spots but is it unfair at the start of a driving test to almost throw that in because it's not put in for every other test centre it's just the location of this test centre happens to have a blind spot as you're exiting where the driving test centre uh, is and that won't be the case with other test centres around the country. Anyway, if anybody else has seen that, as I say, particularly if you've recently passed your test, have you? did you notice the blind spot or is this listener over-exaggerating it slightly? 1850-333-103. Your thoughts welcomed on that. Now, coming up on the programme today, we are going to be once again discussing maintenance payments for lone parents. Now this issue came up because we spoke with the National Women's Council on Monday and they were calling for a state agency to help parents to try to secure maintenance payments and then we've discovered that the Group 1 family, now they're the organisation that support people who are parenting alone in this country, they are also coming out saying the very same thing, that we need a statutory agency for child maintenance. We need to take it out of the court system. I mean the court system is already clogged up. There's enough going on in the court system without all of these families going in and fighting for maintenance and it can be very adversarial when you're in a court it can be very intimidating and it can be just a very frightening time for people and really there must be something that we can do to make that system a little bit easier if you've had a child and for whatever reason the relationship and we know relationships break down in the majority of cases, not all But in the majority of cases, it is the woman who's going to be raising the the child. If she ends up being a stay-at-home mother or if she ends up only working, even if she doesn't, the father has obligations to his child and needs to pay maintenance. Why we need to go through the court system for that, I, I still... I can never understand it. So we're going to hear from one family who've conducted a survey. So they're backing up their, they want this statutory agency to be in place, but they're backing it up with statistics. They've gone out and they've spoken with people who are parenting alone and talking to them about their experience to date of getting maintenance. How many of them ended up in court? What was it like when they ended up in court? You know, and I'm assuming we're going to be hearing from them that the majority of parents were saying, yes, the last place I wanted to be was inside in a courtroom. So we'll hear from them in a couple of minutes. We're going to speak with the Irish Cancer Society and this is to do with the financial costs of a cancer diagnosis. We haven't, I think, touched on this. We certainly have done interviews in the past about it, but we haven't touched on it in quite some time. I think the last time it came up and we spoke quite at length about it on the programme was and it didn't just affect cancer patients it was to do with the cost of parking at our hospitals but one of the groups that came out quite strongly about that was cancer patients and their families saying you know there should be free parking for all cancer patients and there should also be a level of free parking for the visitors who are the people who are supporting the loved ones who's going through a cancer journey but you look what we're going to be looking at so what parking is going to be one of the issues as well but we're just looking at the overall cost you get a cancer diagnosis and I suppose the very first thing that would spring to mind if you got a very serious cancer diagnosis you may not be able to work at the same time that you're going through your treatment and you're on this incredible journey and this incredible battle to save your life so you may have to give up work. So the obvious one when it comes to financial implications is your income could be gone completely or at least it could be halved or lowered if you're only perhaps say working part time. So that's one obvious one but then there's also and things you don't really think about, there's additional costs when you get a cancer diagnosis there will be medical costs 
that you also have to factor in. And if you're trying to factor that in at the same time that your income has reduced, it just must be a nightmare. And I think, you know, you've got enough going on in dealing with this diagnosis. It's kind of the worst thing. Everybody dreads the day you could be brought into a doctor's office or a consultant's office to be told you or a loved one has cancer. The last thing you want to be worried about is how am I going to pay the bills? So we'll speak with the Irish Cancer Society. Mary and Rathcool has already been on about this saying, yes, your life does change with a cancer diagnosis. It changes completely. It is costly and mentally the effect that it can have. But when family and friends offer help, appreciate it and life does get bearable. Been there and done all of that. Thanks to all who helped us though through through, the, through that particular time and who still do says Mary. That's Thank you for that uh, Mary. But that's a good point as well that when family and friends offer it can be hard sometimes for people to accept that offer of help but if somebody does come forward with an offer of help Mary says Grab it with both hands and uh, appreciate it. We'll stay on cost factors then after 11 today because the Irish League of Credit Unions will be joining us. They're discussing the cost of going back to school for this year. And I was sad to read in their latest report on this topic that a third of parents have admitted they're going to have to not deny their children some of the school items. Now, we'll, we'll talk through as to what the school items are going, are going to be. But, you know, we all, as parents, when you send your son or daughter off to school, you want them to be the same as everybody else and you want them to have, you know, they're sitting next to Johnny or Mary and Johnny and Mary have the best of everything. You want your child to have the best uh, of everything. You certainly don't want to make them feel alienated or to stand out in some way. And if they're not going to be able to be included, say it's an activity that you just can't afford and your child is one of the few in the class who's not included in that activity because you can't afford it, it just your heart would break, wouldn't it? Your heart would break for your child because you know your child is going to feel a little bit of an outcast even if you explain to the child you know look this year you can't take part in swimming or whatever it is because mummy and daddy don't have the money that's just a heartbreaking thing that for any parent to have to do and a third of parents it's looking like are going to have to do that uh, this year we're hearing about a new tourism business that we that has come to our attention this is a tourism business it is the Jersey Boat Trips and we're going to find out all about it Jersey is famous for its cable car could it now one day become famous for its boat trip and we'll speak with one of the founders, you know, an entrepreneur who has set up this uh, business. And we'll on. Uh, I mentioned this when I was speaking with Simon in the last hour. This is coming from Forbes. Is she rustling all the papers? This is a wonderful piece that was printed in Forbes yesterday. You can check it out on Forbes.com. And it is from their travel section, a young Young, I'm assuming. Leah Lane, a, she is a travel contributor to Forbes.com and she describes herself as I travel the world smart looks and often. What a great job. Anyway, she's written a piece about the Burial Peninsula and uh, it's Ireland's hidden secret on the southwest coast. And she talks all about the Barrier Peninsula that juts out into the wild Atlantic, the 92 mile long winding route. Uh, she says it's, it's considered even more picturesque than the nearby Ring of Kerry. And everyone seems to talk about the Ring of Kerry. Let's not forget the Barrier Peninsula. She says here in 3000 BC, Bronze Age people made their marks in standing stones. 
and the remains of Vikings who plundered monasteries and well above the copper barons of the 18th and 19th centuries savaged under the earth in service to English masters. And she goes on about the poets and songwrites who uh, spoke about the tender sound of song and merry dancing that stole softly over Bantry Bay. And then she gives some of the highlights. She talks, for example, like the Healy Pass. She talks about Garnish Island, Millen's Cheese, the 15th century Dunboy Castle, the Bullock Bay Looped Walk, Poxley Mansion, the Copper Mines Museum, Doreen Gardens, and uh, she also gives a mention to the Seal uh, Connolly. Great. It's a fabulous, fabulous piece and terrific news for anyone involved in tourism along the Bearer Way. And it's good to have a great article like that published in is something with which of with which of with of such a high standing as a Forbes magazine. So thank you to Leah Lane for writing so beautifully about the Bear Peninsula, Ireland's hidden secret on the southwest coast. We've known about that hidden secret for quite some time. It is Wednesday, so Peter Dowdle will join us answering all of your gardening questions. You can get your gardening questions in throughout the morning. Today is the day to be discussing the garden. You can't get out in the garden with the rain. So if you've got a question for Peter, we'd love to hear from you. 1850 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. By the way, a little bit later on in the programme, I'm going to go through what is a really good study that has just been released and it is to do with stay-at-home parents. And if stay-at-home parents, these are people who work full-time in the home, child-minding, the cooking, the cleaning, any of the handiwork that needs to be done, the bit of gardening. You might, if you've got young children, you're probably a good taxi service as well. There, there is a really good report out showing when they add up all the work that's done by a stay-at-home parent, who, by the way, in Ireland are mainly women, uh, how much it would cost if you were to employ somebody to come in. So if you were to get a, a living wage for the work that you do around the home, how much would you get paid? You'll be very interested. How much do you think a stay-at-home mother is worth from a financial point of view? How much do you think they should be paid to stay at home? They can be fathers as well. There are a small proportion of stay-at-home fathers. But the stay-at-home parent, worker, how much do you think they should get if they were to be paid for the actual work that they do. I welcome your suggestions and your thoughts on that. 1850 Give us a ballpark figure or 0862103103 and we'll do a comparison between what we get in as suggestions from listeners as to how much they think a stay-at-home parent should be paid for the work that they do around the house. How much do you think that job is worth? Text or WhatsApp us please 86 103. We are going to be talking about cancer and, and cancer diagnosis and how it impacts financially on a family. Mary McCroom was on to say her husband has cancer and has been battling cancer for the past four years. He's had to have three operations, the last one of which was in Dublin. She said the parking fees at the hospital were astronomical. She has health insurance, but they did have to pay extra because he needed to get into the March or private and he wasn't covered under his health insurance for that. She phoned ARC, she phoned the Cancer Centre society to get advice and to get help the only help she got was the stoma nurse at the Mercy Hospital but she said that particular nurse has absolutely run off her feet, she's so busy and also she's getting incredible help from the public health nurse in McCroom. Mary is 76 years old and she feels she'd be totally alone only for her three children. Goodness me yeah, it is, it is such a battle and all the focus goes on the person 
with the cancer and rightly so they need so much support but let's not forget to look after the carers as well because who's caring for the carer um, and, and I'm thrilled Mary to hear that you've got three children so you are you are blessed and obviously tying in with what the other Mary and Rathcool said when help is offered you know take it with both hands and depreciate it and no doubt that's exactly what you're doing with your children but what about people who are in situations that don't have children or don't have children living nearby or have fractured families and don't have anybody to help out there's people in really really dire dire situations can I give thank you for your call Mary to 1850 I've been asked to announce that there's a prayer meeting with Amal this Friday evening at Theo Park from 6pm to 7.15. It starts with Rosary at 6 and Theo Park, it's Theo Park Labamalaga, is four miles from Mitchellstown on the Kilfinnan Road and everybody's welcome to go along to that prayer meeting with Amal this uh, Friday from starting at 7.15. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, earlier this week, we spoke with the National Women's Council who are calling on the government to set up a state agency for the payment of maintenance to lone parents. One Family, that's Ireland's organisation for people parenting alone, are also calling for such an agency to be set up. And joining me to discuss why is One Family CEO, Karen Kiernan. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, you recently conducted a survey on this very topic. Do many parents end up in court battling for maintenance payments? Unfortunately, yes. That's what the survey found. We had over a thousand um, mums and dads respond to the survey and about 58% of people ended up having to go to court to get agreement on what they should be paying around child maintenance. And we even had about um, 30, 40 people uh, who were sharing parenting equally between their children. And they also, half of them had to go to court. So people find it very difficult to come to amicable arrangements, which is obviously the best thing if people can come to their own arrangements. And part of the reason it's difficult is that there aren't any guidelines for people. There's no framework out there to say, look, this is what should be paid if you have this income, if this is the child's needs. You know, so there's very little guidance or support for people who are trying to figure these things out. And child maintenance is also linked to so many other issues. If someone is, if a, a family is separating and they've been together a long time, there can be a house, there can be issues around access or contact visits. So it's it's part of a big complicated mix. Mm. And because we don't really support people to separate well in this country, this is why people end up in court. And then you've got more conflict and yeah. more hassle and stress. And then, and, and, and the needs of a child and how much um, a child would need. I mean, for example, a teenager, maintenance for a teenager surely is very different to maintenance of a three-year-old. Well, teenagers cost more. We yeah. know that. And in fact, even the social welfare system is beginning to kind of recognise that. Now, childcare costs, of course, for young children can be very expensive, but of there course. is the half-time preschool year. Um, but you're absolutely right. Teenagers can eat like adults. They they can be as big as adults. Their clothes and their shoes are very expensive. Um, they have different social needs. So obviously people can go back and vary maintenance orders throughout the ch- their children's lives. It may also vary on has someone lost their job, has someone gotten a job. You know, all kinds of circumstances um, can mean that someone needs to revisit it. And I suppose what we're saying is rather than people having to go to court 
the stress, the cost, and it can take so long, um, is that if people can be supported to make their own decisions for their families, that's much better. Because we also see that a lot of the court orders aren't necessarily followed. So a lot yeah, that of people was, don't pay it. That was going to be my next question. Is the maintenance always paid on time when it's awarded by the courts? No, not at all. So a lot of people who we would be contacted by are at their wit's end because their maintenance hasn't been paid and they're literally short of money that week, the next week, the next week. You know, so it's extremely difficult. We're also aware of people who, who you know, because we one of the services we have is around mediation and can also see people who may have quite unrealistic expectations around what maintenance should be paid. And I suppose there's a difference between people who can't pay their maintenance and won't pay their maintenance. Mm. So if you can, you know, we would always see people, the vast majority of people want to do the best for their children. So if you can try and decrease the conflict and focus people on their children, they will do their best for their children. But we do see really, really serious issues for people where the maintenance isn't paid and they're expecting it to be. And for people who are on social welfare payments, their payments would be deducted um, if they do receive child maintenance. So then if they don't get the maintenance, they're out of pocket and that's a very serious situation and they're on very low income. And what happens then? Do I, are you back to court to fight you're for You're back to court. Yeah, you're back to court. And is there and any so penalties people, penalties against the person who doesn't pay the maintenance? Well, the ultimate is imprisonment and that would happen very rarely. And what can also happen is if someone is in employment, um, the, you can do an attachment of earnings if the court orders it where there's a summons sent to the employer. Now, if someone leaves that job or you don't know where they work or they're self-employed, you can't do that. So I suppose all there's a huge amount of problems in determining what's the right amount and figuring out what everyone can afford and what the children need in helping people come to an agreement that they're going to be able to live with and not fight about. There's associated issues then with maybe a home or maybe with access visits. Um, and all of these things need help. So we're saying you need you need a child maintenance agency. But in fact, you also need a court welfare service to help people separate well. Because in other countries, they have all these services. We've nothing here. And we're decades behind in Ireland. It's only when you look at other countries and say, oh my goodness, they have all these services to help people get through this because it is really difficult and really stressful. So, you know, we're just way, way behind in Ireland and people are really, this is why so many people are in court and they shouldn't be. You know, there's a real problem. Karen, that court system can be, I imagine, extremely intimidating and stressful. I mean, for many people, they would never have been inside the door of a courthouse before this issue arose. Yeah, and whilst in Dublin, there are a couple of specialised family law courts, they aren't in the rest of the country. So people are going into regular courts. One day a month, there might be a family law sitting. So it's very unsatisfactory. Um, and now there is going to be new legislation introduced this year to around family law courts so that there would be specialist courts throughout the country. And so we're looking forward to that being introduced because it's really badly needed. You need specialist judges. Again, outside Dublin, you would have judges who could be doing all kinds of, let's say, district court issues around um, you, you know, even uh, criminal issues. And then they'll just do family law in the middle of it. Instead of people building up the expertise and being specialist around family law, because it is a very specialist area, and that's what we need to get to in this country. But we also need, you know, um, 
mechanisms where people can have maintenance um, uh, paid properly to them and that people can maybe get assessments done for court. At the moment, that's all privatised. It's very, very difficult for people to get those assessments done. The people might need contact centres or they might need some parenting support or therapeutic support. Like, they're all things that we should have in Ireland and we don't have them. And so then, this is our long-term vision for what we need and you know, to help people. And when you think of the court scenario and, you know, and how stressful all of that can be, if the relationship ended because of abuse, I imagine yeah. that can make the court uh, proceedings even more hostile. Well, you're into a whole other issue there. And again, where there has been abuse in the family or in the re- the adult relationship, that needs to be managed differently. And again, we don't have the expertise or the specialist family law courts to do that. And for many people, if there has been abuse, they won't take a maintenance claim. You know, they'll just leave it because they, they're, they're afraid or they don't want the stress of going to court and they're afraid of being seen or their information being released if they're in hiding. So there's lots of very serious issues. Now, the other thing, of course, is child maintenance is for children. And in other countries where the systems work well, you can see that it actually reduces child poverty levels. So this is a very serious issue because most poor children live in one-parent families in Ireland. So we need the maintenance system to work well, that more children can be lifted out of poverty because we, as a society, we know it's not right that so many children are living unnecessarily in, in, in daily and, and weekly and monthly poverty. So, you know, we need to put, make all the changes that we can to help those children um, have the, you know, the best kinds of lives possible. Yeah, at the end of the day, it should all be about the children. One of our listeners says, my ex-husband just didn't want to pay maintenance, but in no problem supporting another man's children. I personally think a fixed figure should be allocated and taken automatically from their wages without an attachment, as an attachment order is void once they move jobs and you have to start all over again, which is the problem you see with the attachment orders, Karen, as well. Mm, the fact that yeah. if they move jobs, you're back to square one. Um, and, and as well, our court service is already overstretched, isn't it, with the number of maintenance applications? Hugely. So people, there's a lot of cases going in and out to court, particularly at district court level, a lot of people having to represent themselves because they can't afford legal support and and they're in and out because they are in conflict and disagreement. And it is much better if we can get people to make agreements outside court where possible. And, and that's, again, what other countries do and what we should be doing. So help people make decisions for themselves around child maintenance, around access and contact visits, who the child will live with, when they'll visit each other, you know, or live with each other. All of those things, it, it, it's high risk to go into court and, and say, right, I, I don't trust, you know, that we can make a decision, but I'm going to let a judge do it in 10, 20, 30 minutes, you know. Mm. So it, it's much better if people are supported either through mediation or through other processes to come to an agreement they can live with themselves that, where they have a stake in the decision making. Because if you let someone else make the decision, it's harder to live with it, you yeah, know. There has to be a better um, system. All there right. has to be a better system. All right, we leave it there, Karen. We'll talk again. Thanks for that. Thank and uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Karen Kieran, Kieran, CEO of One Family. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now the Irish Cancer Society in their pre-budget submission have called in the government to reduce the huge financial strain on cancer patients and their families to discuss the financial cost of a cancer diagnosis. I'm joined by Paul Gordon and Paul is Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the Irish Cancer Society. Good morning to you Paul. Good morning Patricia, uh, thank you for having me. Well you're very welcome. The obvious one with the cancer diagnosis can be the complete loss or drop in income. H- how do families cope with that? Well, it's with, with great difficulty, to be quite honest, uh, Patricia. Uh, we know that uh, that patients pay, on average, an extra 860 a month, and that can go as high as 1,200 uh, after a cancer diagnosis. And that's at the same time they suffer a huge loss in income. So people people are generally losing around 1,400 euro a month, on average, uh, after cancer diagnosis, and that can be because they're working reduced hours, they've had to leave work, uh, or they've had to take unpaid leave in some cases, which is really difficult, especially for some families who might only have it there might only be a single earner or uh, they're, they're, they, they, the family might have someone who's self-employed who, who has become sick and can just no longer work so it's very difficult for, for, for many families and you know it's something that many people don't consider before a cancer diagnosis but we have heard from patients that you know the financial impact uh, is, is long lasting for, for often for many years um, and, and it isn't really something Paul that people talk about I mean if somebody has a cancer diagnosis and they're you know sharing their experience with family and, and friends you know they talk about the treatment they talk about the cancer journey they don't open up and say we're stony broke at the, at the same time Yes, and and that's something that that we have found, and that, that that and that's why we've done a lot of research in the area in recent years. You know, a lot of people when they are diagnosed, their main focus obviously is is recovery and getting, getting well. better. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, but well, what we have found is that is that a diagnosis can be as stressful as as the physical and emotional side effects of of, of cancer, and we're calling on the government this year to to actually uh, to actually make efforts to ensure that. Uh, that uh, that is reflected in the budget 2020. So we're calling for a reduction um, in the drugs payment scheme thresholds for people who who, who uh, don't have a medical card, uh, so that they can cope better with the cost of prescription drugs. Um, likewise, for for people who do have medical card, that that the prescription charge is removed for for those medical card holders. Uh, a removal of, of inpatient charges, which costs uh, cancer patients uh, 80 euro per visit, up to a max of 800 a year. Um, when they go for chemotherapy or radiotherapy, um, and often we have found that those patients are, are actually, if they if they haven't paid within seven weeks, they are pursued by debt collectors, which which is a really stressful thing to go through. Why uh, they're they're, they're being pursued by debt collectors while they're still going through their cancer? Yes, treat- yes, that, oh yeah, and, and we have heard from uh, from a lady in County Mayo, uh, Mary Moran, uh, who, who faced inpatient charges while she's dealing with a cancer diagnosis uh, during her pregnancy. So she was diagnosed at 32 weeks. Uh, uh, thankfully, uh, uh, she she has uh, since recovered and gone into, into remission. But a couple of weeks after after she delivered a baby, um, she she was landed with bills um, for for each tra- treatment session, followed by debt collector's letters, which is a really stressful thing My to God. go through for someone in that situation. Uh, are medical cards not provided to all cancer patients? Uh, currently, no. Um, generally. Uh, Patient, there are discretion. There are there are discretionary medical cards, and generally, what we have found in the past is that is that um, patients have 
there is a significant amount of leeway offered to patients who have cancer. Um, it doesn't necessarily guarantee you a medical card if you have a cancer diagnosis. Um, and what we have found from talking to many patients is that the actual process of applying for a medical card can be quite stressful. Mm. There's often repeated requests for information. It can be slow. Um, you know, social workers in hospitals are often there to, to give support, but that, that can be quite limited. Um, so, so it is a stressful process. Um, it does require, you know, it, it can require repeated requests for information and, and lots of back and forth, which is really the, kind of the last thing you want when you're, when you're going yeah, through. Yeah, again, it's back to what's going on in your life. Your, your, your focus is on getting well or on getting, you know, your your loved one, getting your loved one better, having to even think about paperwork and financial strain. I mean, it it just, it shouldn't even be on their radar. No, absolutely. And I mean, thankfully, you know, many people do have the support of families and, and, and uh, social workers to, to help them through that time. But some people who may be more isolated do struggle with it. Um, and, and it's something that, that can, can really be quite difficult, um, especially if, if it's taking a very long time. And the costs are piling up in the meantime, you know, because because you're not covered uh, during the period that you don't have a medical card. Um, so, so that can, that can be, be a big stress for people. Yeah, we had one listener when I teed up that you were coming on to discuss this this morning. Uh, we had one listener share with us that she, when she went through a cancer journey and diagnosis, it was family and friends who helped them out and that she really appreciated it. But you need to accept that help and support if it's forthcoming by, from family and friends. Yes, and, and many people they may they may be living in rural, rural communities, they may be living away from their family, and they don't they don't often have that support. And um, something that that we've called for in in, in budget twenty twenty also is is a reduction in hospital parking charges for frequent visitors. Uh, we run our own uh, volunteer driver services service, which does support people uh, like that who may be isolated, may not have someone to give them a lift to appointments. Um, and, and that that's covered about a, a million kilometres in twenty in twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen with thousands of drivers right across the country, which is an invaluable service for people like that. Um, however, you know when people are coming for appointments, costs do pile up, uh, and before you get to, before you get in, in 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 the door for your consultation or for your treatment, you you may have had to already shell out on, on car parking charges. Which do those which, do those volunteer drivers get free parking? Uh, well, generally they would they would drop patients at at the door of the hospital, um, and and uh, at the hospitals we do operate at, uh, they do uh, there there are usually arrangements in place uh, right. with with the with the parking. Oh, I was uh, just going to say, there. please don't say that has sent uh, insult to injury that they had to pay for their parking as well. Uh, pay, paying for parking is an issue we have discussed countless t- times uh, on this program. I mean, are we getting any closer that surely all cancer patients should just get some kind of a card and they've got free parking? Yes, well, that's an operation at some hospitals around the country. So St. Cork's in, or St. Luke's in, in Dublin, uh, Port Yunkala in Mayo, there's a few that do operate uh, a free parking situation for cancer patients. I know in Cork the situation is, uh, while it's not free, uh, there have been big improvements in recent years. So, so at CUH, uh, cancer patients do pay five euro a week for parking, uh, while in... Uh, which, isn't, which isn't too bad. But we had one listener whose husband had to go to Dublin for an operation and she said, I don't, she didn't say what hospital it was, but she said the parking charges were astronomical. It, they are especially especially in urban areas. Uh, so I mean, you might you might be paying as much, or if if not more, than you would in a city centre uh, uh, shopping centre uh, if you were to visit uh, the latter in Dublin, for example. Um, and and that's that's part of the, the reason why we have been campaigning to to, to reduce parking charges and to offer them free where possible. Uh, so we, last year, the Minister for Health did order a review of uh, of car parking at public hospitals. Um, 
anti-guaranteed that that will be published this year. It's our understanding that it, it, it is forthcoming and it should be published in the next couple of months. And, and what we are calling for is, is that funding is made available to ensure that when that report is published, that it's implemented and that it, it does operate on a compassionate basis. So it's not just about cost, but it's also about advertising where there are reduced costs and where there are free costs for, for cancer patients or other long-stay patients and, and, and frequent visitors. OK, we'll keep our fingers crossed on that one. Paul, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And thanks uh, for joining us. That is uh, Paul Gordon, Policy and Public Affairs Manager with the Irish Cancer Society. This is Court Today. Court Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. Court's greatest hits. C103. And I've had an email in with a birthday request asking me to play it after the 11am news today. So I'm bang on time. Happy birthday to Carmel O'Donovan from Kinsale. Uh, Carmel, I'm told it's your birthday today. Lots of love and best wishes from your husband, Michael. There's a water outage that Barry had on the news. It's a an email from Irish Water that unfortunately due to a burst water main water is off from now till about five o'clock today. Hazelwood, Drumdowney, Ballymagoo and new two-pot house areas and the surrounding areas. Cork County Council and Irish Water are apologising for any inconvenience caused and that is due to a burst water main but it does prompt me to tell you but yesterday afternoon we were with the kind of evening time about six o'clock uh, the water pressure had been very low and then it disappeared it was gone so I checked with my neighbours to see did they have water to be told they had very low pressure so I decided I'd get on to Irish Water because I went online first went onto their Twitter feed because usually Twitter is great to update you on things like that but I couldn't see anything for the area of Mallow where I was living with, living in as to why it was without water so I'll give them a ring in case it is a burst and nobody's has reported it etc so I got on to it's Irish Water Care that you get on to and I spoke to don't know where their call centre their call centre is still in Cork they were in Cork at one stage I don't know where they are now but anyway it was certainly a call centre here in Ireland and it's always so welcoming when you know that the call centre is in Ireland and that they know exactly where you are when you say that you're in Mallow in County Cork so he straight away looked for my address and the call by the way was answered very promptly within I would say 15, 20 seconds, call was answered. Uh, he typed in my address and came back and was able to tell me that there was a burst pipe in one area that could have been affecting me. But then he was also able to tell me that there was had been works going on yesterday in the Drumahan area of Mallow. And I reckon that's where my water supply was coming from. And because of that, water pressure was low and was out in some areas. But they'd stopped work at five and it was building back up. And it would be by eight o'clock, it would be back. And, and true, true to that young gentleman's name, who I didn't get it was back by 8 o'clock but I just thought it was a very efficient service and there wasn't a big long wait you know often we hear people complain about oh god I was on to a call centre I was losing the will sitting on the phone counting the hours away trying to get through to anyone or else you get through to a computer and people just get very frustrated so it is great when a call centre works and works well so good to mention it and kudos to Irish Water as I say I thought they were very very efficient uh, yesterday keep your questions coming in for Peter Dowd and I can see some coming in already Peter will join us after half past 12 today answering your gardening questions 1850 text or whatsapp 86 Now, at the start of the programme, I mentioned stay-at-home parents. And if stay-at-home parents were to receive an annual wage for the jobs that they do around the house, how much do you reckon they should receive or how much do you reckon they would be entitled to? Now, I can see some people, when we put this out on 
text and asking people for the suggestions. Some people were saying surely it's worth about 12 to 14,000 a year. One other, the highest I think that came in, some, somebody says, I'm a stay-at-home mother. I think I deserve about 100,000 euro a year for the amount of work I do. Isn't that what a TD gets? I feel I do more work than any TD that's in from one listener. Anyway, there has been research carried out as to how much stay-at-home parents if they were to be paid for all the work that they do. And the figure has come in at €44,000 a year. If they were to be paid for all of the jobs they do around the house, the things like the cooking, the cleaning and the child minding. Eight in ten people here underestimate, though, the value of a stay at home parent. And the re- But the research has come in at this figure, 44000 to That's what you would be paying if you were employing someone to carry out all of those household duties. Every week, stay-at-home parents are estimated to carry out 30 hours of childminding, 15 hours on cooking, 8 hours of cleaning, 5 hours of teaching, that's during the school terms, 4 hours of handiwork. They also throw in an hour of gardening and there's at least... 10 taxi trips and I think if you've teenage children those taxi trips could even be higher. That means that a stay if you were being paid to be a stay at home parent your weekly wage would be €844.89 and that's compared to real world work real real world wage data and it was research carried out by Royal London however when they asked people when they did their research how much it would cost to employ someone to perform the duties of the stay at home parents 61% of people surveyed believed stay at home parents wages ranged as low as 10,000 but it only went as high as 30,000 so it was nowhere near the actual figure that it came out to be the survey also looked at the number of stay at home fathers in Ireland 72% of people surveyed said they didn't know any stay at home fathers and just 5% actually classified themselves and said yes there were stay at home uh, dads in Munster the figure was even highest 75% of us in Munster said we didn't know any stay at home father while 4% of dads in Munster said yes I'm one of those I am a stay at home father so still the traditional role of a stay-at-home parent in this country and I think in most countries around the world traditionally and it still is the woman but that's not taken from the wonderful stay-at-home dads that we have and those figures actually compare to the Central Statistics Office figures which found the vast majority of stay-at-home parents are women although the number of men in the role nearly doubled in the 10 years up to 2016 so for some reason it has become more of a norm for some dads to stay at home. I mean, it can work out. It often can be the case that the woman might have the better job with the, not necessarily the better job, but the job may perhaps with a higher income, for example, or the woman might be in a job where she's able to get more flexibility than the man has. And for some, it works out. And for the, for men who do opt to come out of the work the work environment and to become stay-at-home dads it works out extremely well but the role of a stay-at-home parent uh, can be described and is often described as priceless but it might be a good exercise for people to consider how much it would cost to replace that person in the financial sense Uh, when you know if you look at families often put mechanisms in place 
with a primary wage earner might get seriously uh, ill or God forbid that they pass away. But there were very few people, if any, who would put financial precautions in place in the unlikely event that something happens to the stay-at-home parents, that they become ill. I mean, that's kind of kind of ties in with what we've been talking about earlier on with the Irish Cancer Society and the cost of, of cancer. And if it's the stay-at-home parent is the person that gets the cancer diagnosis, OK? You're not going to have the income drop that we spoke about, but you will have all of the other jobs that the stay-at-home parent does that still needs to be done. And if that parent is very unwell, may not be able to do any of the roles. So if you are a stay-at-home parent listening to us today, pat yourself on the back. Your job is worth €44,000 a year. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. A busy Bandon artisan bakery and cake shop is looking for a full-time baker and a confectioner. While Clover Hill Food Ingredients there in Mill Street, they've got vacancies for a full-time delivery driver, two full-time warehouse operatives and a customer service uh, agent. Milk recorder contractors are required. Dunamore, Ballinhasic, East Limerick, Kenmare, Listole and in Dingle. And electricians with experience in shutdowns are wanted. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, a third of parents say they're being forced to deny their children some school items because they simply cannot afford to buy them. There's been an increase in the number of parents saying that back-to-school costs are a burden on their families. That's according to the latest survey on school costs. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Carried out by the Irish League of Credit Union. Joining me from the Credit Unions is Paul Bailey. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're welcome. So back to school costs. Are they up or down for primary and secondary school children this year? They're up by about €20 Euro per child for secondary school. So the cost of sending a child to secondary school this year will be approximately €1,400. Euro. Uh, 1399 is what our survey showed. So €1,400 Euro per secondary school child. And then the cost for a primary school child slightly down on last year, down €50 Euro from 999 to 949 So uh, so quite costly for a primary school child. So if a parent has or a family has a primary school child and a secondary school child or a couple of uh, either, you know, they could be looking at uh, somewhere between three and 4000 to to send children back to school. Uh, come September. God, that's incredible, isn't it? As you say, particularly for the for the families with more than one child, the Absolutely. burden the burden's yeah. even even tougher. The, what's the most expensive items, Paul? I mean, is it still books? Yeah, in, in the secondary school, it's the books at two hundred and twenty euro, uh, and in primary school, the most expensive item is uh, extracurricular activities at one hundred and fifty nine euro. Books for primary uh, are coming in at around one hundred and twenty three. Uh, uniform for primary 133 uh, and then we look at uniforms for uh, secondary at, they're coming in about 200 per pupil um, with school trips coming in at 190 the, the third most expensive item there so yeah they're they're, they're quite high um, Just so stay, stay on the uniforms for a sec the branded school uniforms Yes They're still a, a huge concern for many schools aren't they? They are they're they're, they're a massive cost, and, and your listeners will know that, that you know, you, you'll get a letter from the school saying that you can buy your uniform in this particular shop. Yeah. So it's specialist shops uh, providing the uniform for your child's school, um, whereas if schools moved to generic, non-branded uniform, um, then they can be, they can be bought in, in uh, some of these uh, multinational retailers that we have here now. Um, where you buy your your grey trousers, your grey skirt, and and your your grey jumper, um, so there's no badge on it, um, but everybody looks the same. So it's uniform in in, in, the, in the true sense of the word, um, but we don't have that expense of of putting an expensive crest on it. Uh, the other area um, we would look at, or we would call on schools to look at, would be this idea of branded um, sportswear. Yeah. So for example. Um, if you're just doing internal sports in the school or gym or PE in the school, why is there a need to have a crest on your T-shirt, on your polo shirt? However, if you are representing the school uh, in a football match or a hockey match or a camogie match or a basketball match, then there's a need to have a branded jersey. But when I was going to school many moons ago, when we were playing football for the school against another school, we were handed the jersey by the, the teacher on the day. 
he wore the jersey for the match, you handed it back at the end and then the jerseys were washed and put away to the next match. Absolutely, absolutely. And even when the schools, you know, like the idea of their uniforms having a crest, there, there, there are ways around keeping the generic uniform. You can have I, I remember when, when my own young lad was going to school, there was a sew-on crest that yeah. did him, can I say, right throughout primary school. I think I had two crests because he had two jumpers on the go at any one time. And the, the crests were just sewn from jumper to jumper. So, and there's yeah. iron-on crests. There are other ways around it. Well, there are, there are much cheaper alternatives exactly than having to buy from a, a one supplier who provides a, you know, an expensive jumper with an expensive crest on it. There are lots of ways around it. That they'll still grow out of and young lads will still knock the knee out of the trousers. Absolutely. The very same yeah. way if you bought it in your local supermarket or if you bought it in, in a high-end shop. It, it re- I, but, but Paul, and, and only we spoke about it only a couple of weeks ago on the programme. Again, I think it was with the Society of St Vincent de Paul and we touched on back-to-school costs. I can't believe that in 2019 we're still talking about this issue. Well, as you know, Patricia, we do this survey every year. Um and we do it at the same time every year, and we're not finding the costs going down. I think they're going up, and, and more and more parents in this year's survey uh, shows that more and more parents, 11% increase on last year, are finding back-to-school costs a major burden, uh, a major financial worry for them, um, to the point that they're cutting back on other expenditure. Um, so it, it's not something that's going away. Um, I know the... Joint Committee on Education and Science in their recent publication um, listed some recommendations for the government, uh, calling on the government to, to, to look at the likes of um, the, the non-branded uniform, uh, generic uniforms, non-badged, um, including the sports and gym gear, um, the commitment to restore the capitation rate. There's a capitation rate paid for every pupil who attends school uh, in in the states, the school receives a fee per child, but that rate um, hasn't has actually gone down since. Uh, it went down in, during the downturn, didn't it? Yeah, it got, it got the, the last yeah the the the, the, the capitation rates from 2010. That's what they're calling on to be returned to the rates they were in 2010 because they haven't they've gone down in the last nine years. So even to return it to the rate it was before the recession would take some pressure off schools. They'll get more money from the department. And then the the um, they won't need to pass on the cost to parents in in the, uh, in, in the form of, of voluntary contributions, uh, which all schools ask parents to pay. So that's an extra cost, which is included in our cost, by the way. Um, so, well, this well report from the um, the joint committee is welcome in terms of the recommendations. We don't think it's strong enough. Um, it, it's, for example, there's one there's one uh, recommendation in this, uh, that the Minister for Education and Skills request that his cabinet colleague, with responsibility for credit unions and other financial institutions, undertake a review of the lending criteria and processes with a view to eliminating the need for parents to resort to licensed money lenders, who in some cases can charge interest rates of 200 and 100 percent equivalent in charges. Now. That's very nice when it's written down, but actually when you read it, so they're just asking to request. We, we, th- we think they should be more affirmative uh, than, than request. They, mm. you know, strongly suggest or strongly recommend that this is done. We have called for uh, a cap on licensed money lenders, an interest rate cap in the past. Uh, it still hasn't happened. If you look on the central bank uh, register of licensed money lenders, 
there's one company on there are charging 288% interest. Oh, my goodness. There, yeah, there are one-third of that list are charging rates over 180%. And these are licensed moneylenders. So, yeah, these aren't the illegal moneylenders that we used to, no. talk, to talk about. And, and Paul, that's where families will go and are going to. That's the reality, isn't it? They are going to these moneylenders. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, of, of the people that we surveyed, I think it was 883 people in, in total that responded to the survey. 36% of them said they go into debt as a result of back to school. Now, of that 36%, a quarter of them uh, report turning to moneylenders. Uh, to finance the back to school wow. now, and that's now it's slightly down on last year which is the good news last year it was 27% that went down to 24% this year but it's still very high um, and with those high interest rates when people go to uh, money lender uh, they get tied into the, to a, an endless cycle of debt uh, that they never get out of because all they're doing is paying the interest on the loan and not actually paying any capital sum back I'll give an example um if someone goes to a licensed money lender who's charging, say, 180, 89%, um, on a 500-euro loan over a six-month period, that person will pay back 150 euro in interest. So they'll pay back 650, having borrowed 500 for six months. If they go to a local credit union at the prevailing rate of 12%, they will pay back 15 euro, one five as opposed to 150. So Goodness, they'll, they'll a, pay back 515 as opposed to 650. That's a, so that's a huge difference. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And isn't it, Paul, so sad to hear parents having to say they'll be denying their children certain school items? Nobody wants their child to be any different absolutely, when they go yeah. into school. Uh, yeah, and especially at the secondary school level because children, when they enter secondary school, unfortunately they enter that uh, time in their lives when there's new social pressures coming on them and they want to have the same... Uh, branded items as their, their their friends, the branded runners, the the, the you know the branded hoodie or the branded tracksuit. They'll they'll want to have that, but the parents won't be able to afford that, and they unfortunately have to deny them. And that brings an, an added social pressure for children as well. You know, and then things like the the expensive school tours. I mean, I'm assuming they're in, they're a non-runner for families yeah. that that are struggling. Uh, Carmel, yeah. one of our listeners says, Grange National School in Formoy offer parents the option of buying the school crest in the school. Uh, you, you stitch it on. It's five euro per crest. And similar to the crest that I mentioned earlier can be taken off and sewn on to uh, another jumper and another jumper. It saves a lot of money and it saves a lot of hassle, says yep. Carmel. Well done to Grange uh, National School. So, Paul, your message to parents uh, today who are listening to this and are struggling with the back to school uh, costs is go into your local credit union, particularly if you're one of those people that's looking to a money lender. Yes, and, and people, many people will probably not go to a credit union because they think they have to go through a, you know, a big owner's form-filling process. They feel um, they, they won't get a loan because they may have a poor credit history. We, we run a, a scheme with the Department of Social Protection called the Personal Microcredit Loan. Um, now, not all our credit unions do it, but your credit union locally may do it, so we'd advise people to go and talk. And what that means is that somebody who doesn't have maybe a good credit history may be struggling, maybe may on social welfare, um, they can go in and get a loan of, of up to €1,000, um, depending on, on their, 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 their circumstances and their ability to pay, um, which can be deducted uh, from their household budget scheme 
and to the to the Department of Social Protection payment um, over a period that suits them. The beauty of that loan then is that they're all the time building up the credit history. So the next time they go in for a loan, they'll have a credit history that's to show right. that they can pay it back. And what's that called, did you say? It's called the Personal Micro Credit Scheme. It's like, there's a website called uh, www.itmakesenseloan. So go on, go on and look up It Makes Sense Loan and you'll find the detail there of that. Okay. It'll show the credit unions that are participating. All right. Um, so people can go in and talk. And even if credit unions don't have that scheme, please go and talk to them because you may find yourself eligible to apply for a loan and it's much better than going to a money lender and paying those exorbitant uh, interest rates. Okay, we'll leave it there, Paul. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning to you. That is uh, Paul Bailey who's with the Irish League of uh, Credit Unions. I think that's startling, that figure. And and when we're talking about money lenders and when Paul is talking about money lenders, it's not the... Remember we used to to do a piece on illegal money lenders and the um, amount of interest that they were charging and and we've finally got rid of, not all, there are still a small cohort of illegal money lenders, uh, but we've got rid of the majority uh, of them but we have legal money lenders who are still charging, but they're legal, they're allowed to do it, but some of their interest rates are just incredible. I think that's figured that, Paul, I think it'll stick in my mind. You borrow €500 euro and you're paying it back over six months. It's not You're not sort of saying, oh, I'm going to leave it for five or six years to pay it back. So you're paying it back fairly smartly. With an, a money lender, it'll cost you €150 euro in interest. That's just incredible. Versus some going to someone like your local credit union, you'll, it'll just be €15 euro of interest. So you'll pay five, your €515 euro versus paying for the 500 650 That's a staggering, staggering uh, difference. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862. 103-103. So with the summer season upon us, it's always great to hear about new businesses that will help to generate tourism in the area. So to chat to us about a new boat service called Jersey Boat Trips, I'm joined by one of the co-founders, Paul O'Shea. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now, Jersey is famous for its cable car and, you know, people will say rightly so, but you guys want to bring attention to the Bull Rock Yes, that's correct. Uh, we have the the best kept secret, I'd say, in all of Ireland uh, with the Bull Rock, and we'd like to show people and give people the experience of going out there. Okay, tell me what your plans are. Our plans are hopefully, when we're up and running fully, that we will have six trips a day, seven days a week, uh, weather dependent, of course, and we'll take them from Garnish Pier up uh, past Dorsey Island on the north side. Uh, up to the Bull Rock and hopefully through the the archway there, if if weather is permitting, down past uh, the Cow Rock and also to uh, the arch that we call locally the Elephant's Trunk, and down around uh, the Calf Rock, the famous uh, uh, rescue of of the uh, 1800s, and back along the south side of Dorsey Island, up underneath the cable car and back to Garnish. Goodness me! How long would that trip? How long that trip take? The trips will take approximately an hour and a half. And what's known about the Bull Rock and the Calf Rock? Well, what's known about the Bull Rock is that uh, it's the largest uh, colony of gannets in Europe. And uh, it was a lighthouse uh, built there uh, after the Calf Rock lighthouse being demolished. Uh, I suppose what we want to show people is we want to show them that uh, I suppose how the how the lightkeepers uh, lived and walked in 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 all that isolation three miles offshore. 
Yeah, and, and, they, and they were really in isolation back then, weren't they, when they lived there? I suppose it wasn't so bad on the summer's day like what we have now, but in the winter it was really, really tough conditions. I suppose all highlighted by the Lighthouse series there on RTE. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It was a fantastic programme. And the, the gannets that uh, nest there, what time of the year are, are they nesting there? The, the, the nesting there now, the young chicks are just out there at the moment now. Oh, that must be quite a sight, is it? Yeah, it's it's nice if you're if you're if you're a, a nature lover, uh, which I think most people are. I think it's 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 a breathtaking scene, to be honest. So, Jersey boat trips. You're setting it up along with your business partner uh, Jason Sheen. What's your own background? Are you local to the area? Yes, I've lived here all my life. Out uh, two miles from Ganish Pier, I am a mechanic. I work in Castletown Pier. I've always had an interest in the sea. My father before me fished for mackerel down in, in Garnish and in the 70s and early 80s. And did you ever take up fishing yourself? Briefly, to be yeah. honest. Uh, I, I, I suppose I had an interest in working with my hands, so I became a mechanic. Yeah. But um, I, I'd like to slightly diversify now if I can. And why not? And why not? So what kind of a boat when you have it? It's a rib, is it? At the moment, we have a, a six-metre rib uh, to carry six passengers called the Evanmore. Okay, so you're all you're all up and running and set to go. Have you have you started yet, or you're about to start? You know, we've started, and uh, to be honest, we've been inundated with brilliant uh, calls from some of the publicity that we've gotten already. I, at this point, I would also like to thank uh, Richie Hodges from Elhis, who did a beautiful video, and also like to thank Emery Cronin Photography for her absolutely excellent work, and they've been of immeasurable help to us so far. Where can people see the video? You can see it up on Dursley Boat Trips on Facebook. Okay. You can also um, look at uh, .com, uh, for You can see it on his own website also. Okay, so, um, and is it locals? Is it staycationers? Or are you getting people from overseas booking? At the moment, we're getting locals. I mean, locals to the Bay Area area. Now, I yeah. must say, we've had a couple of tourist trips already. Our flyers will be ready at the weekend and we're going to do a, a strong canvas of all the hotels uh, this side of Killarney and Cork, to be honest. Yes, yeah, get the message out there and, and let people know. I mean, I was only mentioning earlier this morning, there's a piece on Forbes magazine. It got published uh, yesterday on Forbes.com that the Bear Peninsula is Ireland's hidden secret on the southwest uh, coast. We've got to get the message out to people. It's just a, it's such a beautiful neck of the woods. And I think little businesses like yours, Paul, is going to generate a lot of interest. Well, there's also another uh, background to it, and that is that we've seen the parish being decimated by immigration since 2008, and we're now down to having only one adult football team in the whole parish. Uh, oh, God. Just, just uh, two uh, teachers now in the school in Cahamore. They lost our first office. Um, the time is right now. The World Atlantic Way has... has has given a lot of communities such as ours a great lifeline uh, and the, the cable car the planning permission hopefully going in soon now for the all new cable car at Dursley I think what's behind all of this what motivates us the most is to, is to generate a bit of employment and hopefully see uh, a few of our, our, our lads that moved away since 2008 come back that's what's really behind it Paul is, is it very difficult for those that remain to watch so many of, of your peers, your classmates, your friends, to watch them up and leave. Is that very difficult? 
Ah, it's been very tough, but the, the, it's a mirror image of what's happened all over rural Ireland, really. I mean, the camaraderie that we had when we played football, like, that's, you know, that's no longer existent. You know, so all, all, all young lads or underage footballers are now playing with Castletown and on just because we can't make up teams of our own. So those guys have, if, if something doesn't happen soon, we have a very bleak future ahead. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's going to be down to entrepreneurs like yourself and Jason. It's going to be down to people to do it for themselves, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's nobody's going to breeze into West Cork and decide or uh, whatever rural area and say, oh, I'm going to set up a business. We're going to have to do it ourselves. Absolutely. No, I've been chairman of the Hammore Community Centre for the past eight years myself, and and uh, we've seen it firsthand, uh, the, the result of immigration and all the rest. But we've also worked carefully with the, the Cork County Council and Liam Lynch, the project manager with the cable car, uh, over the past five or six years in, in order to bring uh, this new cable car to fruition. And delighted to say that it's all going the right direction. And isn't there a Jersey Island Interpretive Centre? Isn't that been spoken about? Well, the cable car will be a, a, a complex with, uh, with with the following facilities. There's going to be a gift shop, there's going to be a restaurant, there's going Great. to be an interpretive centre, and we're going to have a, a two-car cable car. Oh, system. it's all linked in together, yeah. It's all going to be in the one enclosure with, for the development uh, in the island with, with toilets and, and, and a nice waiting area and, you know, all that goes with that then as well. Brilliant. And then uh, running as, uh, beside that, you'll be able to offer these boat trips. Well, you see... We have probably the the best restaurants in Beira, uh, all the way from the West Atlantic Bar through to Castledown Bear and on Eels and Ellis. Uh I'd say that better anywhere in West Cork. And I suppose we would also like to give people the opportunity or give them reason to stay around for another night and, and also dine out and take walks, go on the cable car, take cycles, go for a swim, plenty of horse riding, golf. All the outdoor activities are here in Beira. And when the sun is shining as it has been of late, no better place to be. Well, there, there would be no need to go to Spain. <laughs> well said. Now, Paul, you, you'll run initially. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming your boat trips will be seasonal. They'll run throughout the summer season. What will you do off-season then? Off-season, depending on whether we're going to offer pop-up trips because okay. there's going to be lots of opportunities, I think, to see wildlife, dolphins and birds and all the rest, um, you know. And there's going to be, depending on whether there's going to be pop-up tours for the whole winter. We anticipate that anyway. OK, and people can find out more under Jersey Boat Trips. You're on Facebook. Yes, that's correct. And can people book the trips through Facebook as well? They can book, yes. We have we have a phone number at the moment. Uh, um, our guy, um, Jerome O'Dwyer, is looking after all the bookings. And... Uh, they can book through Facebook also. Listen, we wish you nothing but luck with this and I love the idea that it's the main reason behind it is is to get tourism and to get jobs going uh, in the area. So we wish you the best of luck uh, with it, uh, Paul. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Uh, Patricia. Good morning. Good morning to you. All the best. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Paul O'Shea, one of the co founders of Jersey Boat Trips. And it sounds like a fabulous thing to do if you're down in the area. Why not check them out on their Facebook page? 1850 333 103. Somebody's just sent in a text to say there is serious traffic delays between the Tech Park and Clonakilty today. 
uh, it's running at at least 10 minutes and we know there's roadworks going on in the area and you know, people just have to be a little bit patient uh, please we haven't heard a lot about traffic delays are people getting involved in big long traffic jams in quite some time and that's possibly got to do with when the children are out from school the traffic isn't as bad as when the school runs are, are on but today for whatever reason there are serious traffic delays that could be to do with the volume of tourists that are in the area uh, as well so just to make people aware you you can and will be expecting delays if you are heading in and out of Clonakilty today. 1850 Keep your gardening questions coming, please, because Peter Dowdle, the irishgardener.com, will be joining us after half past 12 today. So if you have a gardening question, get it into us, please. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Thank you to Mary, who sent in a lovely photograph of four new flower planters which have recently been installed in the town of uh, Charleville. They're gorgeous. They're great big wooden planters, lovely colour around them and uh, like a greenery, like a tree in the middle from what I can see in, in the photograph. And Mary, particularly pleased with how these planters look. They're big, they're big round planters, how they look in Charleville and says, why doesn't, why doesn't the town of Mallow get something like that? Well, they did put new planters in down at the town plaza, the contentious town plaza. They're not wooden planters, so there's big sort of urns and people were complaining about them, God knows, when they went in and said, if anything, they were actually too big. So there has been something similar done in Mallow. They're just not wooden planters. They're the urns. Uh, thank you to William in Bishopstown who was on about the generic uniforms that we discussed in the earlier this hour with the League of Credit Unions. William says the Board of Management of Schools, they all have parents' representatives on them. So they should be the one to vote for generic uh, uniforms. That came up the last time we discussed this issue and the point was raised. It is so difficult. Talk to any board of management. It's so difficult to get parents to go on to those committees. And usually the parents that do go on to them are usually the parents who are not complaining about uniforms and are happy enough to go with the branded and the crested uh, ones. The parents that complain are often as not the parents who don't get involved in the school in any way. And therefore they're not getting involved in any decision making. making. But you are right. The Board of Management has a very strong role to play in any of, in all of those decisions about the school. So if you were in a school where there are branded uniforms that you think are too expensive and that you're against them, then it's through the Board of Management you should go. Even as a group of parents, if you don't want to get involved and get on the Board of Management, as parents, you could lobby the Board of Management. You know, you could write to them, you could set up a petition uh, and get them to realise just how expensive these uniforms are and that you want it changed. And Mary, thank you for your text. And Mary in West Cork sent in an interesting text saying, it's amazing. I've had no post for eight working days, says Mary in West Cork. And obviously that's the first for Mary. She normally gets post uh, every day. Very few people writing letters. There's very few. I don't think I've got any bills in certainly in the last six months. Everything's gone online. Now they're pushing you more and more to go online. So it is rare. I would I'd agree with you as, uh, as well. It's rare now to get any kind of, you know, get excited when you get a letter through the letterbox. And I think more, we're going to be seeing more and more of that, Mary. It'll be more than eight working days. It'll be weeks and months before we'll see any letters eventually. That's sadly the way it's going. 1850-333-103. Make sure you've got your gardening questions. We'll be talking with Peter after half past 12. In the last hour, the opening song I played was uh, Bob Marley and Everything's Going to Be All Right. That prompted Pat in Mallow to say, Patricia, 
I wish I could believe Bob Marley when he sings everything's going to be all right but in the times in which we live I'm not too sure says uh, Pat and that got me thinking that when I was looking through the newspapers this morning there's so many depressing stories and stories of what has gone wrong with the world and the times in which we live kind of thing and the one that really jumped out at me and when I heard it yesterday breaking as a news story on the television news it kind of stopped me dead in my tracks and it's the story of the little five-year-old girl who was lured to a derelict house and beaten by three little boys who allegedly attempted to sexually assault her in a shed uh, before the child managed to escape and raised the alarm. The young girl, she knew, she knows the three boys. They all live locally. One is um, a seven-year-old, one is an eight-year-old and the other is a 10-year-old. She was allegedly beaten with sticks, but thankfully she didn't receive any serious uh, injuries. The attack happened about a fortnight ago, but it's only coming to light now. And, and all they're saying, that the Gardaí are saying, is that it happened in the northeast of the uh, country. It seems the little girl fought off. She's five. She fought off her attackers and then managed to run home. Gardaí are saying that, you know, it could have been a whole lot worse if she didn't fight back and wasn't able to get, you know, wasn't able to get away. But she she did, thankfully. Now, the Gardaí are obviously saying that this is a very, very upsetting case and for all involved and that all four children, the little girl and the three little boys, all come from very decent families. Not that that matters. Uh, Of course, absolutely devastating for everybody who lives in the closer community to think that this could happen in their community. The the incident is being investigated by a team of Gardaí. They've got a local specialised unit but obviously they're bringing in divisional protective services units as well and I know Tusla are involved in the case as well just to make sure that all of the children are safe. Uh, But somebody earlier sent in a text like me was very shocked when they heard the case yesterday and wondering because the boys are so young seven eight and ten, can they be prosecuted for what they've done, you know, for attacking this little girl? Well, the Children's Act defines that no child under the age of 12 can be charged with a criminal offence. So it's 12 is the age for criminal responsibility. However, there are exceptions in the case of suspected rape or murder. And in those incidents, children aged 10 and 11 can be charged. But none of that applies in this case in the North West. So the prosecutions are unlikely. And the Gardaí are saying everyone is just relieved that this little girl didn't come to more serious harm. But you just worry about the long-term effects. What a frightening, frightening thing to happen. She went off with the boys. You know, she knew the boys. And, oh, she, does she play on the green with them? You know, they're all friends. They all know each other. Probably all living in the same little housing estate and thought she was going to be fine off for a bit of an adventure with the slightly older boys. And they're, they are only slightly older. Seven, eight and ten. God almighty. It's just shocking, shocking case. And it is one of those things you just think the times in which we're living and what's gone wrong with the world that little boys can think it's okay to do that to a little girl and a very little girl. She was only five. 1850 Keep those gardening questions coming for Peter. Uh, please, I can see a number coming in by text. He will be joining us after half past 12 today. Other WhatsApp in saying, I heard somebody on your radio station about the Clonakilty Roadworks. Well, that somebody would have been me. I mentioned them earlier on. They are a pure disgrace, says this texter. I've been at a stretch of the road. They've been at a stretch of the road for the past six months and more. They're putting a new surface down, then taking it up again and doing the same thing today up Hospital Hill. 
And I travelled it last night and that road was perfect. What money is being wasted? That's somebody very, very uh, angry. And we had somebody caught up in delays in the roadworks. Whatever about people questioning why work has been done it's when people get caught up in the actual delays that people get very very annoyed and I mentioned a, thank you for your WhatsApp I mentioned a lovely picture that was sent in by Mary of a planter flower planter four of them seemingly did somebody say four uh, the new oh no I don't know how many sorry new flower planters I thought the flower was four new flower planters that have got on in the town of Charleville and somebody's saying why, why didn't they do something similar in Mallow even though I defended Mallow by saying they did put new planters but they're not the wooden the wooden variety that they put in in Charleville well somebody quick as you like Noel in Charleville was on the phone to say Ian Doyle is the best thing that has happened to Charleville in a long time and Ian Doyle for those who don't know is the local elected councillor for that uh, area. We are, yeah, and well done, Noel. I don't know what your surname is for highlighting the great work that Ian Doyle is is doing because we knock councillors and councillors get knocked enough, but they do, councillors do. Oh, I, you know, I always speak highly of all of our councillors right across County Cork and indeed the city councillors as well. They do great work and they get into they get into the role to try to make a difference and to try to do their best. And it can be a thankless job at times. So give credit where credit is due. So Noel, I'm only too happy to give that a mention. So thank you for that to eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. And thank you to some other pe- people who sent in when I was asking people for photographs of the moon last night and the partial eclipse of the moon I just want to mention one and I did send it on to Simon to see if he can put it up I don't know if it's gone up on Facebook or not yet but thank you to Kieran who sent in a fantastic photograph that his of the moon that was taken by his 11 year old son who by God he's going to be a good photographer if he keeps taking shots like that last uh, he, he took it it was just before the lunar eclipse. It was last Saturday night using a Nikon Coolpix compact camera. And uh, as Kieran in his text from Kilowatt says, it's just one for all the NASA 50th anniversary moon landing fans. And it's just a stunning photograph. Absolutely stunning photograph of the moon. So thank you, Kieran, for that. And can you pass on our best to Andrew and say, well done. I have a feeling he is a photographer in the making. It uh, really is a stunning photograph. 1850-333-103. Bernie continues to take your calls. Or if you want to text in with a uh, text or a comment or a gardening question. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. John from Cove was on to us. This was yesterday. came in at the end of yesterday. So I had to do it. I said, I'd see if I could check into it. He is, as he just says himself, I'm saving hard to buy my first home. And I've just heard that the first time buyer's grant is going to be axed. Is it true? I won't be in a position to buy my, my first home until next year. And I've factored in this first time buyer's grant and now somebody's saying to me it is to be axed but it seems that the finance minister Pascal Donoghue yesterday funnily enough gave his strongest signal that what's called the help to buy grant will be extended in the next budget obviously we're at that time of year we're already starting to do interviews with pre-budget submissions but it's at the time of the year when the cabinet 
are looking at the budget. I know they're all on holidays, but there's cabinet meetings still going on. And as all TDs and ministers will tell you, even though the doll might be in recess, they are still working away. And one of the things that certainly has been worked on is the budget. And when they come back after the summer recess, it's just a matter of weeks away before we'll be hearing the details of the budget for 2020. So there's a lot of work going into the budget at the moment. And Pascal Donoghue is hoping to extend the budget. Now, the grant is, it can be up to the maximum you can get is 20,000. It's for first-time buyers. And John, it is actually meant to expire at the end of the year. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. So when you're hearing people saying it's to expire, that was always the plan. It was to end at the end of uh, 2019. But there's been a couple of signals from government sources that look like they might extend it. And of course, it was put in place to help young couples try to get onto the property ladder. Anyway, Minister Pascal Donoghue said the grant has played a very valuable role in supporting the purchases of homes right across last year and this year in particular. And he said that while it was a budgetary matter, he's obviously going to be working closely with the Housing Minister, Owen Murphy, and they're going to assess what the scheme is going to look like into the future. So they might tweak it. It might be slightly different. It might be slightly less. But you would take from that that they certainly think it has been very successful and that they're going to try to do everything in their power to support people who want to become homeowners like our John and Cove who is saving so um, hard. And Pascal Donoghue said the idea always was that the scheme was designed to help people make that first purchased but it was designed when our housing market was performing in a particular way. I don't know if our housing market has changed in any way. Anyway, he says we'll have to assess the scheme and take a look at it, take a look at what it's done in the past, what what it could do into the future and then of course if there's a decision to be made, it will be announced in Budget 2020. Owen Murphy is understood to be seeking the extension of the grant. He's already been in talk with Pascal Donner, who's already been in talks with the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach has also hinted at an extension. He said in the Dáil earlier this month that the grant, and I quote, this is from Leo Varadkar, will help many more people into the future. So far, 12,100 people benefited from the grant. I didn't realise the figure was as, high, was as high as that. So a lot of people have received money under this first time buyer's uh, grant. €171 million Euro was paid out from the Exchequer for this first time buyer's grant. And the average grant, by the way, was 15000 It's up to a maximum of 20. That's not to say that everyone will get 20. Some people might only have got seven, others got 12, but the average was about 15. So keep your fingers crossed, John. It's looking good at the moment. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Fremont Summer Cultus Sessions. They are going on in Fremont Heritage Centre every Wednesday night for the month of July and August. They start at half past eight. And the special guest tonight is Francis Curtin Kennedy. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service, they've got donor clinics in the Cork Marts in Formoy today from 5pm to 8.30 and again tomorrow Thursday from 3 to 5 tomorrow afternoon and 7 to 9 tomorrow night. 
The popular Clonakilty guided historical town walks are held every Wednesday evening, again during July and August. So you can meet this evening at the Michael Collins statue at seven. The walk lasts approximately an hour and a quarter. All are very welcome. So if there's any tourists in the area, please let them know. And Billy O'Connell's CD in aid of the Make-A-Wish Foundation is now on sale locally in Mallow. You can get it in Lyons' and McSweeney's shoe shops, Lucy's and Sheehan's Butchers, Phillips Bookshop and Dano's Centre in Splagem. The price of the CD is just €10 with all proceeds going to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And breast cancer survivor Liz Cullinan is climbing Kilimount Gyro in August to raise funds for the Cork Cancer Care Centre. Part of her fundraising, there's a coffee morning at the centre on St Paul's Avenue in the city tomorrow Thursday from 11am to 1. If they're in and around the city, you want to pop in and have a cup of uh, coffee. And bingo will go on in Kildallery Parish Hall this Friday night at half past eight. All are welcome. There was a, a piece caught my eye in the paper uh, today by Daniel Keane writing in the Irish Independent or is it the Times uh, anyway I photocopy pieces and I, I always mean to write down I think it's the Irish Times actually no about it's, yes it's, it is it's the Irish Times my apologies um, and it's to do with an elderly Irish man who passed away in London and about 130 members of the Irish community attended his funeral yesterday because he was a man an elderly Irish man who died without any known living relatives. Isn't that just so sad? He's a John Lynch. He was originally from Bally Longford in County Kerry and he died last month. And Brendan Vaughan, who was, is originally from Donegal but had befriended this elderly man, John, went on Radio Kerry and he also used social media channels to encourage anyone from Ireland who was living in London who might be around yesterday, would you come along and pay your respects to one of our own so that while he doesn't have any known relatives. Let's give him a bit of an Irish send off and let's have people in the church, you know, as he's making his final journey. And it seems that Mr. Lynch left Ireland for England with his parents when he was very young. He was only two. So he obviously would have no memories at all of living in County Kerry. He went on then to work as a fisher. And I'm assuming he was either an only child or if he did have siblings, he's the last surviving sibling. I'm I'm unsure. There's no detail at all like that about John and whether he did have brothers or sisters. He spent the final months of his life in a care home in Greenford in East London and he often used to wear a Kerry jersey even though he left when he was two he still had his strong Kerry roots the funeral service took place yesterday at the Church of Our Lady of the Visitation in Greenford and it was attended by about 130 Irish people turned up many of them were members of the Kerry Association and Brendan Vaughan who put out the appeal to say, come on, let's see if we can muster up some numbers for his funeral. He had become friendly with John Lynch for the last two years and he ended up regularly visiting him when he went into the care home. And somebody suggested to him, you know what you need to do? You need to get on local radio and get the message uh, out there. And he said he's glad that he did and that he got a great old boost from it. And he said John would have been thrilled because John was a very proud Kerry 
ma'am. And he's now hoping that somebody in ba- Ballylongford, I don't know what part of Kerry or where is Ballylongford and Kerry, but they're now hoping that somebody in Ballylongford might be able to do a bit of research and come up maybe with a date of birth and maybe try and find out a little bit more. There's got to be some relatives somewhere. And Sally Mulready, who is Director of the Irish Elderly Advice Network. Now, we've spoken with Sally Mulready in the past about elderly Irish and particularly when they become in, they get into very vulnerable positions and what happens to them and what help is available and they are the Irish Elderly Advice Network in London is fantastic run by uh, Sally she's an amazing woman and she said that despite advances in dealing with isolation among London's elderly Irish community support was often not available there will always be some I suppose that will fall through the cracks and then you'll have some who are just very proud and they're not going to say that they've fallen on hard times and they're not going to reach out and to look for help, which is a real, real shame. And she said that a lack of cultural connection contributed to the isolation that's experienced by some elderly Irish people who are living in care homes because there are still many wonderful Irish clubs in London that still keep that connection going. And that's so that cultural connection is so vital, I think, when people go overseas, you know, how everyone rallies around and and helps uh, each other. But I just thought, I thought it was sad that he was this man all the way from a very proud Kerry man and he dies with no living relatives to attend his funeral. So well done to the 130 odd members of the Irish community who said, well, you know, he won't be buried alone. We'll be there to support him and to, to pay our final respects to him. So may he rest in peace. John Lynch formerly of Bally Longford in County Kerry. 1850 Bernie is taking your calls. If you have a gardening question, get it in, please, to either to Bernie or text to uh, 086-2103-103. And thank you. Quick off the mark, somebody said, Bally Longford that you're talking about, uh, Patricia, is near, near Tarbert. OK, it's a rural area. It's a very rural area. And obviously there's no relatives, I wonder whether any lynches or even cousins of the man would still be uh, around. But thank you for that. It's it's near Tarbert. Somebody in the know. And by the way, I mentioned that somebody had heard me talk about the roadworks in Clonakilty and somebody was on saying it's a pure disgrace. Stretch your road. They've been on it for six months. They're putting new services down. They're taking it up again. They're doing the same thing again up Hospital Hill. What in God's name is going on? Well, another listener is backing up that text. So I'm going to, we're going to get on to the council about this to say, hi, Patricia. This is the third time that I've seen large parts of the road to Clonakilty dug up after it had been tarred and chipped. It's a disgrace. What's going on with the road? What are the engineers doing, etc.? As soon as the road was completed, they're back digging it up again. And that comes in from a regular listener. OK, we're going to get out to the council to... That seems very strange that you would put in a new road and you tar and chip it. Because usually once the tar and chipping goes down, that's it, it's done. They're happy with the, the work done and the road is fine and everyone's delighted and you're back driving out. Why they would be digging it up again, I don't know. Peter Dadrell, the Irish com, joining us on a kind of a wet and a miserable Wednesday and it's the first Wednesday in ages that we've been saying it's wet and miserable. Good afternoon to you, Peter. It's a pretty bleak one, Trish. How are you? Uh, I'm very well. I'm trying to turn it into a positive to say that the gardens could do with a bit of a watering so we'll take the bit of rain. Well, 
Do you know what? You're you're absolutely right. We could do with a bit of rain. It was a glorious weekend, but I was out watering to beat the band. Yeah. So yeah, I'm kind of glad that it's happening. Yeah, so we do need it. And it's look, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Okay, straight into questions. And I have promised Mary, one of our listeners, that this will be my first question this week because she says it's her third week sending in this question. But we've been so busy the last number of weeks we didn't get around to it. So Mary says, my newly laid lawn is a mass of chickweed. It's even clogging my lawn more when I'm cutting cutting it. Peter, will I have to relay it? Well, uh, well, I suppose the good news is a chickweed is an annual weed and regular mowing will get rid of it. Um, Would I relay the lawn? I wouldn't. And I tell you why I wouldn't is because that seed is in the soil. So if you go at the lawn now and and re-rotivate it and redo everything, you're only going to be disturbing more seeds. You'll have the problem again. So I think whilst it's an annoying problem, it'll be a short-lived problem. I do think regular mowing will eradicate it. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose heart. I wouldn't lose hope yet. Um, I, I wouldn't take any action really except regular mowing. If it's still a problem, you know, come September, come October, come back to us and we, we'll come up with, with a different solution. Like you, you can uh, apply a selective lawn weed killer as soon as the, the lawn is six months old. But it's kind of, I'd be slow to do it because I don't know if it necessitates it and it's, you're kind of blanket bombing the situation then by putting a weed killer all over an area that doesn't necessarily need it. And what, um, what is chickweed? It's just one of these annual weeds that come up through the lawn. It comes up in flower beds, it comes up everywhere, but it, um, you'll often see it on newly disturbed soils. So yeah. obviously a new lawn is newly disturbed. Like seeds, nature, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously saying it all the time, Trish, but nature is phenomenal, the power of nature. The seeds, seeds can lie dormant in the soil for up to 300 years, believe oh, it or not. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah, so I mean, you see, I, I laugh when sometimes when I see back before dates on seed packets, you yeah, know, but, but some no of need. them can lay dormant for, for hundreds of years. So that's okay. what it is. All right, keep mowing, uh, Mary. Best of luck with that. And another Mary, this time Mary in Bandon, says Hi, Patricia. Could you ask Peter why my onions are getting all mouldy with the leeks wilting, turning yellow? They were set since the 18th of March. They, they've, they've, I can't say why exactly, but they've got a fungal problem like basil rot or collar rot on, on the onions and the leeks get similar. Um, it could be leek rust. Did you say the leek was yellowing? Yes, yellowing. Yeah, it could well be leek rust, which is another fungal problem. And it's caused by, I'm afraid, life in Ireland. We live in a warm, damp climate, which leads to conditions ideal for, for the development of these fungal issues. And this year, up to recently, it has been quite wet. And the temperatures, as I say, up to recently, about a few weeks ago, the temperatures were quite low for the time of the year. And those conditions are ideal for, for the development of, of both problems. All You can't really do much, I'm afraid, once they've got it. Uh, harvest them early, harvest them now even, uh, and if, if they're usable, use them. You're, you're, you need to improve drainage for next year, for next year's crops. Also, work crop rotation. In other words, don't put onions and leeks back in those areas because you'll just be, you'll have the same problem again next year. Uh, improve the drainage in the area for next year. But these are all really solutions for, for the years going forward. There's very little you can do once the problem has, has got a hold this year, I'm afraid. And Sean in Castletown Bear, his spinach is growing outside and it's going to seed. He's watering it regularly. Is there anything he can do to stop it going to seed? On the other extreme, one yeah. answer is too much water. The other answer, the other answer is too little. They, all you could, they are going to seed or what's called bolting and it is caused by uh, drying out, I'm afraid. So even the regular watering you're doing is, is, um, is just not enough. What you can do in these situations is mulch 
So by applying a mulch, people think when they hear mulch, they think just, just bark mulch for weeds. But mulching, be it with bark or compost or or uh, even a bit of farmyard manure or anything, if you're mulching something, yes, you're helping in weed control, but you're also preventing or, or sorry, you're slowing the rate of, of water loss through evaporation from the soil. So by, by applying a mulch around your spinach, you are going to slow the rate at which it, the soil around it dries out. So that hand-in-hand hand with regular watering, is, I'm afraid, is really all you can do because when a, when a plant like a salad crop like spinach or any of the lettuces go to, go to seed and once they've bolted, it, it's too late, it, it's finished, I'm afraid. OK, we have a number of tree questions in and that's funny because I had the tree council on uh, earlier this week because there's a competition for the, the National Tree of Ireland that's going on to the Eurovision of Trees in Europe. Were you aware of that? Wow, I hadn't even heard yeah, of that. Yeah, get onto the Tree Council's website. It's yeah. fantastic. And there's we're flying the flag for a tree. There's only one tree in Cork. It's in Blarney. It's the Witch's Yew. And it's an amazing tree. Oh, I'm, it's an actual champion tree we're looking yeah, for. A specific yeah. tree now. Oh, yeah, oh, it's okay. a tree. And then yeah. it'll represent Ireland. And it's like the Eurovision of trees. And then we go up against all the other trees. There's one from each country. And then later on in the year, we'll be able to vote. And when we're able to vote, well, it's, it's for 2020. But when we're able to, whatever tree represents Ireland, we'll be able to vote for our own country as well, which is great. Slightly different and to the Eurovision. There's, there's um, in Blarney Castle Gardens, is it? That, yeah. That, that you, yeah. I know them. There's some stunning ones there. Oh, also, it's the photograph. I mean, I know I'm flying the flag for Cork, but it's just an amazing photograph, amazing tree. Yeah, yeah I know the tree. It is stunning. Yeah. Okay, some, so some questions on trees. Sheila in Mill Street has a 200-year-old horse chestnut tree. A big branch was broken off today by a lorry and some of the bark came off below the broken branch. Is there something you would suggest she paints onto it to prevent infection? She obviously wants to protect a 200-year-old tree. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And unfortunately, when something like that happens, it's not pruned carefully, obviously. So, yeah, she, she's right. Like, when... When when bark peels off a tree like that, it's like it's like us, Trish. It's like skin. It, you know, it's an open wound now, so it's mm. absolutely a place where infection can get in. Um, without seeing it, it's kind of difficult enough to answer. But I, I, I often sorry, I'm hesitating because on smaller trees, I, I wouldn't always recommend painting it with one of these sealants or antifungals. And it's the same logic as you would a plaster on a cut. Do you leave it open to the air? Or do you put your seal it with a plaster? Uh, and if it's a small enough cut, you'd say leave it open to the air. But so on the smaller cuts, I wouldn't be in a mad rush to use it. But in something that's 200 years old, and the way she describes it, there's probably quite a big area has been damaged. I think I nearly would um, paint it with something. And what I would paint it with is there's plenty of things out there. There's one called prune and seal. Um, but there's plenty of them. They're all the same. They'll seal the wound and there'll be an antifungal, anti-infection uh, uh, ingredient in them as well. So yeah, I think I would in that situation. Yes. And even a two hundred year old tree, if it did get picked up some kind of a fungal infection, could it could it kill the tree? Very much so. After two hundred years. Oh God, yeah. And oh. <coughs> excuse me. Well, when you think about it, like even as us humans, as we get older, we're more susceptible to disease. Ah, yeah, trees, yeah. trees are the same. Um, uh, but you'd wonder how it lasted for two hundred years and how some idiot of a truck driver know, managed it. Anyway, I know. Yeah. And Mary in Mallow has some very old, very big, what she describes as fir trees. She doesn't know how many years they're there, but she said they are quite old. She wants to get them cut down as they are a danger during the winter. Anytime there's a storm, she's always fearful that some of them will, will come down. Do you need to get special permission to cut down old trees? The, 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 that's a, an answer that could be stirring a hornet's nest, so I'll tread carefully. Um Yes and no. If so, if they are trees of special interest, then yes. And if they are over a certain age, yes. Uh, with conifer-
and I think it's 15 metres of a property, uh, then often the answer is no. Um, I would suggest that she, without question, I would suggest and not to take my answer over the radio because I haven't even seen the trees. So I would would say you'd have to get a, a reputable tree surgeon in to look at them and an arborist. Uh, I've recommended one before, Neil Vaughan. He's based in Recroom. He, he does a lot of work for me and he's absolutely excellent. What he doesn't know about trees isn't worth knowing, as the fellow says. He, he's one of these guys, he talks to them and they talk back to him. Um, but he would be a good person to have a look at them and he can tell you first and foremost whether they are safe or not and whether you need to be worried or not okay. uh, and, and to take his advice on that and he will also know in terms of their positioning and the legality and the, depending on what and also what so does, and I, I take it the case is they may not have to come down you could take the tops off could you? Correct, could you top correct. Them? Yeah. correct you may not even have to top them trees are again going back to the wonder of nature Trish trees are, are designed fantastically from an aerodynamic point of view they let any amount of high wind through them it's only when there's a problem like there might be a problem with the tree it might be weak there might be something like ivy growing through it that that leads to complications and that's when they become a problem so a, a, a good qualified arborist or tree surgeon would be the person to have a look at that and Mary in Kiskane wants to know when is the right time to prune my holly trees and box palm trees well box palm is now actually July is perfect time to be pruning your box you don't want to do it too early because that leaves them susceptible to blight so now is the time for your box palm Holly, you've kind of missed your window for this year, I'm afraid. You can prune them now, but you'll sacrifice any berries because the berries, and I've seen holly berries, now they're still green, but all over the country this year, we're in for a feast of holly, or the birds are in for a feast of holly berries this year. They're cropping very, very heavily. So you can prune it now, but you will lose the berries. So I wouldn't. I'd wait till next year. I'd do it probably around February, very early March, and prune them then for the hollies. But the box pans now. And just, to go back a, just go back a step to the fir trees with that lady where I said to get a tree surgeon. She's absolutely right, by the way, to be looking at them because uh, if they are a threat to the house, you do want uh, somebody to take them down in a, in a correct and safe manner as opposed to waiting to, for a storm to do it. And, and now the is the time to be assessing all the trees. Now is absolutely yeah. the storm out of any regard for human life or property or anything. So now is the time to be looking at it, yeah. Okay, and one final tree question. Owen, would it be possible to move a four-year-old apple tree this winter? Yes, absolutely it would be possible and the right time to do it, yes, is the winter, November to February. But if four years old is relatively young, so it should move easily enough. But I'm going to qualify that by saying moving anything that's established, uh, there is obviously an inherent risk of it not surviving the transplant. So for four years it's been, you know, the roots have been finding its way in its new home. So you're obviously going to be damaging that root system. Um, but if you get a big enough root ball and a good rule of thumb, now this isn't always practical, but a good rule of thumb is if you drop a, a piece of thread from the outermost branch, that will touch the outermost root. Uh, that's not always accurate, but it's, it's a good rule of thumb. Um, so that's the size of the root system. So you won't be able to get that size of root ball with it, but get as big a one as you can. Okay. Hi. Uh, question for Peter, please. What is the correct way to water hydrangeas? Do you just water the roots or do you water the leaves and the flowers as well? No, well, with anything, hydrangeas, but it's the same as anything, water just the soil. So the, the, so the plant obviously will take the water in from the root system, so it's the soil that you need to get the water on. And if you water plants from above, uh, not so not so hugely important with hydrangeas, but with things like roses and that, if they have any fungal infection or any black spot or anything like that, you're, you can only be exacerbating the problem by watering the leaves and the foliage because you're, you're, you're spreading the infection. So always with everything is the good rule of thumb, uh, an important rule of thumb to, to water from the ground up. Hi, Peter. I have a, be- a bearded iris. Yeah. Which has finished flowering, uh, which was uh, which 
which it has long done. Okay, the flowering. The stems that haven't flowered, are they to be removed completely? I would like to have Peter's advice. That's from Ellen. I'm guessing she's mean the stems that have flowered. So once they have, there won't be any stems, if you like, that didn't flower. It's just leaves. So I'm guessing that she means the stems that have flowered and now the dead flowers or seed pods. Uh, yes, you, I would remove them completely. You could leave them go to seed and harvest the seed if you're so inclined. But otherwise, no, I'd, I'd, I'd remove them and let the energy of the root system go back into the plant as opposed to into the seed production. So for those that have flowered, remove them completely. If I'm wrong, and if she does mean those that haven't flowered, well, then leave them. They just haven't flowered yet, so they will flower. Okay, question for Peter. What could be attacking the red robin leaves? They're shriveling and going black, says Jane. That is a difficult one to, to, to answer without seeing it. It could be insect damage, so it could be aphid damage. So if you look at the underside of the leaf, you'll see millions of little insects, tiny little, they're actually flies, tiny little flies, that, that they're sap feeders, so they're feeding off the veins of the leaf. And when it's like sucking the blood, if you like, out of the leaf, so the leaf then curls in itself because the veins are being attacked, uh, and then they will go brown and crispy. But the way she says it, the fact that it's going black, it could, you'd often see black on a, on a red robin, but after the frost, but we obviously haven't had them, so that's not an issue. Um, it could be fungal, but again, you'd expect them to see them go more, go more brown than black. But I'd say, send a picture in to yourselves at 103 or myself on Facebook, the Irish Gardener, I'll have a look at it. Um, but it's hard to say. I would say my gut is telling me it's probably a, a bacterial or fungal infection as opposed to insect damage. In which case, I would and probably I'd give this advice anyway, remove any of the infected growth or remove the infected leaves and shoots. Anything that has any bit of black, remove them. Treat the whole thing with a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water uh, and then feed it. Feed it well with something like the Nature Safe Liquid Feed, which is a very, very good plant food to drive on good, healthy, fresh growth. So prune it all, prune it back, um, Treat it with the copper sulphate and feed it with the nature safe would be what I do. And the listener wants to know, could we ask Peter, what height does Grisolinius littorals, littorals yeah. grow? Yeah, yeah. It's Grisolinia hedging, Grisolinia ah. littoralis. It's a bit of a mouthful okay. of a name. <coughs> Excuse me. In ter- it's native to New Zealand and in terms of height, like if you see it left growing, and I have several times seen it left growing as, as shrubs, as plants, as opposed to as a hedge. And I've often seen it get to, wow, 20 feet, 20 feet in height anyway, uh, and sometimes maybe even a bit more. That's how high it will grow, but it's rarely, very rarely, if ever, maintained as a hedge at that height. You'd normally see it maintained as a hedge at about 6 feet, anywhere kind of between 3 feet and and 8 feet is how you would normally see it, but it can get as high as as 20 feet. Hi, May in Douglas has a well-established lavender shrub. It's gone brown all over. Is it lack of water that has caused it? Possibly, but lavender is what I refer to as a short-lived plant anyway, Trish. They, they're prone in our climate. They're prone to getting woody and leggy and doing that. So even even by, like, you need to maintain lavender. It's one of the one of the plants that needs a higher level of maintenance than most. Uh, it needs to be regular, regularly trimmed to make sure it stays good and bushy and compact. Um, and when I say regularly, I mean maybe three or four times a year that you'll be cutting it back. Uh, but even with doing all that, and it does like a very well-drained soil, so whilst it could have dried out, there's a fine line between a dry soil and a well-drained soil. So whilst it could have dried out, which would have lead it, which would lead it to, to going brown, like like she describes, but equally it could have just outgrown itself at this stage. Like even maintaining them well, I would still say you need to replace them every five or six years. So it's, it's just they're just one of those plants.
well. It could be just spent. Uh, and yeah. Kay in Domamwe, her camellias have gone yellow and are rusty looking. Is this disease? Uh, again, without seeing it, I couldn't say for certain, but when camellias go yellow, uh, it's very often a sign of, of what's called intervenous chlorosis, which is basically just a posh way of saying it's lacking in iron. Um, so camellias need a, a low pH to thrive. They need an acid soil. Uh, if they're in the wrong pH, they can't get the iron out of the soil, and they show this by, by going yellowing on the leaves. So a general yellowing on the leaves like that could be just a lack of iron to get some sequestered iron onto it, which is iron in a form that's available to it in the, in the wrong pH, if you like, so it's sequestered or chelated iron, and that would, should green it up. It'll take more than one application. Um, there are, of course, it could be magnesium deficiency too, and there are, of course, diseases, that, particularly when she says with the rusty look, there are diseases that can cause that as well without seeing it as hard to say for definite. Okay. Uh, and finally, it could also be a fungal rust or something like that. So there are several things. My first part of call would be a sequestered iron tonic. Okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, Peter, are you attending anything this week? Uh, I'm attending a wedding this week, <laughs> so I'll, I'll enjoy that. But next Sunday, now uh, I'll mention it again next week, but I won't okay. be at it next Sunday. I'll be elsewhere. But there is a great show happening in Rossborough House up in County Wicklow, which is the RHS, the Royal Horticultural Society of Ireland, are having their annual garden show, uh, and that's in Rossborough House, and that's Sunday the 28th, and that'll be a, a must-get-to show for for anyone who's interested. It's one more in that to. area. Okay, listen, enjoy. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for that. Thanks. That yes, is uh, Peter Dowd of theirishgardener.com. Before we go, can I wish the very best of luck to James Suguru from Mallow Golf Club, of course, the 2019 British Amateur uh, Champion. He will be teeing off tomorrow morning in the uh, the Open, um, in, in playing in a huge major championship, the Open at the uh, Royal Port Rush. I want to wish him the very best of uh, luck tomorrow. Uh, all of Mallow and all of Cork and indeed all of Ireland behind James. OK, that's what I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced Nick Richards, is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.